Holy Gospel for the third Sunday after the Epiphany comes from St. Matthew, the eighth chapter, beginning at the first verse. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Shame is an essential component to the gospel. And with that, shame is an essential component to Jesus. It is essential to who he is, to, to Jesus himself. And I need to get that out there this morning Because even more than we used to, shame has become the hallmark of the modern world. We tend to not like the word shame. We tend to try and shun it. We want to run away from it or we laugh in the face of it. We try to be shameless because we don't like the, the notion of being made to feel guilty about something or to feel shame, and yet we do all the time. And the world works in such a way in order to impose shame upon us, whether we like it or not. Uh, 60 years ago, so a couple of generations ago, uh, shame was attached to different things than what it's attached to now. For instance, 60 years ago, we would have shamed, for instance, an unwed mother, because we thought for some reason that it was shameful to bring a life into the world and to love it and to cherish it and to care for it. Well, some of that has changed now, possibly for the better. We used to shame people of loose morals, remember, like uh, no drinking, no doing drugs, uh, preferably no smoking unless you were in Hollywood, no going to bars, no playing cards unless it was Uno, right? No dances, no watching rated R movies unless they have Jesus in them, and no going with girls who do any of that, correct, boys, right? That's what grandma taught you. Uh, Question around... uh, not necessarily of whether you go to church. It was a question of where you went to church. If it wasn't a Lutheran church, I don't know. And them Catholics, I don't know about that. Jail time, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. But uh, 
Noisy children in public. Remember, a quiet child was a good child. You don't want those noisy children. Uh, what words you, you were allowed to use in ordinary speech, because there were certain words you weren't allowed to use, like George Carlin made a career out of letting us know what those words were. I'm not going to share those words with you now. That's for youth group later. Um, but, you know, the, the seven words you were not allowed to say on TV, right? And, and even today, when Pastor Chris and I go out into the, the real world and we'll run into one of you and you let one of those words slip, suddenly you want to apologize to us as though we didn't go to public school, that we didn't ride the bus, you know, as though it was some accident and we just sit here and go, yeah, well, you should have heard me last night when uh, the Niners blocked that punt. Anyways, um, <laughs> I apologize to all uh, Packer fans in the world, but uh, yeah. Anyways, um, there was a sort of innocent shame about it a couple of generations ago. There were things that we took issue with, but, but it was sort of the things that people talked about you behind your back. Well, well now what we've done is we've t- basically taken the nuclear option around shame. And we use it with so many other things that either just want to blow up relationships or we want to just nitpick a little bit at a few things. For instance, now it's political affiliation. You voted for who? What flag are you flying just below the American flag outside? Or uh, what, what sort of vehicle you drive? Oh, you must not love your grandkids driving that SUV. Or, or how about single-use grocery bags? Looking at you, California, shaming me with your 10-cent fine because I forgot to bring my little cloth bag with me. Um, how about whether your kids or your grandkids go to preschool or play sports or sing the solo in the choir or are taking AP courses, you know, all those things that make having that bumper sticker on your car worth it? My kid's an honor student at blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that, great. Your kid's in fifth grade. Give it a few years. My kid can be, beat up your kid anyways. I'm just kidding. Um, but we, we've taken it to that direction, and then you then include political correctness, the wokeness, the virtue signaling, all these things that we use to try and shame one another in one way, shape, or form. And I haven't even talked about things that are in front of us all the time and always have been. Homelessness. Addiction, mental illness. I'm sure you know where you stand with those things. Whether there's shame that you felt or maybe shame that you've brought upon others because of that. Notice also I have not mentioned the two-ton elephant in the room. Mask, no mask. Vaccinated, not vaccinated. Uh, Basically, where we've taken that dichotomy and we've turned it into shame and shamelessness. We've turned it into good and bad. We've turned it into kill grandma, be a sheep. We've turned it into love your neighbor, fight the man, right? The shame associated with how um, how we've treated one another over the last two years. It's just abominable let alone whether you have actually caught COVID or not. One side looking down upon the other as though it is somehow virtuous to have not caught an airborne virus. 
So that there's something about you that somehow it's stayed away. Um, And for those of you who have had it, the response I've given in the past for myself, and the response I've heard from others, especially in the last few weeks, what I hear is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for getting this. I must have done something wrong, is what I've heard from people. Shame coming in the form of thinking a virus is absolutely avoidable. Uh, Then the, the crushing shame of condemnation. Who did I infect? Or why didn't I do more? Or, or the worst part that comes upon you from outside of you. How dare you get sick? You must have done something naughty. You must have gone somewhere that you shouldn't. Like COVID is one of those diseases that we're told only those people get. I'm going to try and keep it G-rated. As though you just become someone feeling dirty, contaminated, unclean. If you've had COVID and you haven't felt those feelings of shame or failure, have had them thrust upon you, I'll tell you right now, you're the minority because I've I've had the text messages, I've had the phone calls, I've had the visits, I've been there myself. So what does this have to do with Matthew 8? Why does Jesus' encounter with, with a leper and a soldier matter to you, especially in the realm of shame, and matter to you when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like I said, Jesus is all about shame. He's all about getting dirty and, and accepting the fallen condition of a broken world. He, he's the one who endured the cross, scorning the shame, as Hebrews tells us, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father for you. Tasting shame for the sake of both the shame-filled and the pride-filled. And this is what we see with the leper. Christ is coming down from the mountain, where he's just done the big, long sermon. Three chapters worth of the Sermon on the Mount. He's getting done. He's coming down the mountain. And this leper meets him, comes into his personal space. They were supposed to be way, you're talking about social distancing. This is like social distancing come to the nth degree. They were supposed to be way far off. He comes and kneels before him. And as you probably already know, leprosy was the embodiment of shame. It was shame with rotting skin on. You were normally to be seen as one who is cursed by God, an outcast, waiting for death, completely unclean. You you would never again feel a human touch. You would never again feel a loving embrace, a loving caress. Your, Your community, if you were lucky to have one, was just a collection of all the other unclean. All shamed because of the fear of others, the fears of the disease, the fears of death, the fears of being ostracized, the the fears of being alone. Uh, This type of person, this leper, comes to the feet of Christ knowing his uncleanness counts for nothing except that he might be cleansed. He, he, He knew his shame and he admitted as such. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, he says to Jesus. Coming to Jesus, admitting publicly, I am unclean and only you can do anything about it. And so Christ does 
the Jesus thing and he makes him clean, but not in the way I think this man expected, this leper, not in the way that those that that were around Jesus expected. Uh, uh, Like we'll see in a moment with the centurion, all Jesus needed to do was to speak the word and the man would be clean. We, in our theological understanding, look at it and go, well, that's how God the Father created the world back in Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how does he create? He speaks. Let there be light, and it was so. God the Father creating through God the Son, the Word made flesh. And so now here in front of this leper is the actual vehicle by which creation comes. And all Jesus had to do was speak and make a new creation out of this man. He could have done it that way. And I think maybe in some ways that's what the leper thought was going to happen because no self-respecting rabbi would actually touch an unclean person. That'd be the worst. Well, Jesus is not self-respecting. Jesus is a religious contrarian. Uh, And so first, what does he do? He does the Jesus thing and he touches the unclean man. Then he says, be clean. He touches the uncleanness. He gets himself dirty. Then he says, be clean. Christ does the very thing that the law forbid. He he touched the unclean man. He touched the ashamed one, the one who is considered dead, getting himself contaminated with this man's uncleanness, this man's shame. And then he does the Jesus thing, be clean. For you this morning, I wonder... If you're one of those ones who feels unclean, do you need Jesus to do a little touching, a little speaking for you? And those of you who think yourselves above that, maybe of Naaman type, who, why should I go and wash in a dirty river, even though the man of God told me to? And you have to have one of your servants say, all he's saying is wash and be clean. Just like the leper in his shame, we also have the centurion in our gospel story who, unlike many of us, uh, he understood where he was before God. He, He knew his unworthiness. He knew the power that Jesus had. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just speak the word and it will happen, he says. Jesus had already broken religious conventions just a verse before that because he says, okay, I'll come and heal him. That was against the law, too. A Jew wasn't supposed to go into the, under the roof of a Gentile. And here Jesus was willing to go and heal the servant of an enemy of Israel. That's who this man was. He was a soldier tasked with the job of enforcing Roman rule over a conquered people. He was there to make sure that you paid your taxes. And if you didn't, there'd be a punishment. He was there that if there was rebellion, he'd possibly kill you, just to prove a point. And this was the one who comes to Christ and says, I'm not worthy of you, but just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And so leave it to Jesus to be willing to go to the home of a Gentile sinner, to one outside of the promise, to to one who's actually an enemy of the promise, in fact, And and it takes this outsider to cause us to to know what mercy is, to know what the love of God is, to know what faith is, to know where Jesus stands with the ashamed and the forgotten and the lost. And so what does Jesus say of this enemy? 
truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, he says. He's looking at all these religious disciples following him around, and he says, this one that you hate, he's the only one I've found that has any sort of faith, trust that I am who I am, and has come to me in the way that you should come to me, if I'm not worthy for you, but just speak the word and you can make me clean. As part of this encounter here, Christ actually then convicts those of us who think ourselves shameless or virtuous enough, or whatever the case may be. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom, the heirs, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who would feel too shameful to enter the kingdom, uh, the, the ones who consider themselves to not be good enough, the ones that, that feel themselves outside of the graciousness of God found in Jesus, are said to be flooding the feast at the end of time with no room for anyone else other than the ashamed. That is the gospel. Christ, knowing your past, knowing what has shamed you, or knowing your pride, knowing your sin, knowing your, your denial of the necessity of his touch, and then telling you right away, have a seat, have a drink. Here's my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Here's my body broken by the weight of all the world's shame and condemnation, and it's been done all for you. And so you embrace your shame, knowing that it exists for your good, because then you know the sweetness of Jesus. He will touch you in your shame to catch your disease, to save you from it. Your shame existing so that Jesus' death and life might be for you, and nothing else will do. There he puts you to death in your shame and raises the new you from that death to bring you to himself, your shame dying with him. Many of you this morning need to hear this. You need to have this word go into your ears to to cleanse you of your fears, your doubts, your shame, your your, your sin, your, your lack of faith. You also need to go out and, and find your, your friends, your, your relatives, even complete strangers, and share it with them. And if you're too scared to, uh, we have phone numbers. You, you can have them call us. We'll do it. Or just bring them here with the hopes that they'll hear about it. Because the goal of church is to not strengthen you in how good you are. I hate to tell you that. But it's not here to help increase how virtuous you might be. The goal of church and the Christian faith is to save you in your brokenness, to hand you Jesus and his gifts and his promises because you can't find them anywhere else. So hold Jesus to his word this morning. Be that broken and ashamed sinner in need of his cleansing touch. He's willing to cut through all the shame and shamelessness that you carry and take it on himself. He, he did it already in the cross. It's already been done. It was done when he said it is finished. That it 
be even more real for you this morning so you don't carry the burdens of your shame and pride anymore. Let, let down your guard. He, he washed you in your baptism as a promise to you once for all time. He hands you himself at his table as the forgiveness of all your sin, all your shame. Do not think yourself outside the merciful work or to be one that has no need of it. You need it every day. You need it tomorrow. You need it the next day. Whenever the sins of the world, that the shame that the world wants to place on you condemns you or, or your pride puffs you up, you need your Jesus to cleanse you again and again and again to remind you that it is done, that any amount of shame or sin that gets placed upon you is not there anymore. Christ has stolen it because he's willing always to wash you. He's willing always to cleanse you. So be washed, be clean this morning. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand.